Good morning, Daniel. How's it going? Uh, it's so good, John. How are you? So good. So good. It's a beautiful day here in sunny California. Uh, and today is episode 19 uh, with Brianna Wu. Brianna Wu. Brianna Wu is a game developer and writer and journalist and blogger, a woman about the internet, as we like to say around here. And she uh, has had a really interesting career path where she has done kind of a lot of different things and then uh, became uh, a little bit more in the public eye during Gamergate when she was kind of on the receiving end of a lot of internet harassment from a lot of trolls. It was a very ugly ordeal. Uh, and now on the other end of that, uh, she is actually running for Congress. So we wanted to talk to Brianna about the work of running a campaign, which is really interesting. Uh, and whether or not you actually you know, agree with her specific positions, uh, she's got a lot of really insightful stuff to say about just how campaigns work and what it's like to run a campaign as a non-career you know, career politician. Uh, in the last 15 minutes, we get into some deep inside baseball talk about Apple and game development and uh, why gamers have a hard time uh, playing their games on Apple devices. So if you're not into that, you know, you just stop listening when there's 15 minutes left. Yeah, go find another. Actually, you should probably unsubscribe now. Just unsubscribe from the show. Uh, give us bad ratings <sighs> on iTunes. Is there anything else we uh, we need to cover in the intro here, Daniel? Um, I don't think so. This is a really good episode. Yeah, we won't always talk about politics, but it feels like it's just such a huge thing right now that we can't not talk about it. And uh, she was a pretty interesting voice to talk to since she's actually running a campaign right now so um oh and by the way uh go check out the show on itunes and give us a quick rating if you're into it very true it really helps it uh it actually helps a lot helps people find the show and uh we really appreciate it and we love you and tweet at us if you ever have feedback anything like that just let us know we love talking to people i don't think we've ever actually set our twitter handle on the show that's true it is uh fits underscore and underscore starts Uh, and uh, you can find that in the show notes I'll also put our personal Twitter handles in the show notes if you want to yell at us or anything yeah yell at us Is that a is that like has it gotten less weird to to feel that you're running for Congress? <laughs> well, it it doesn't feel weird. What is awkward is you know sometimes I, I, there's uh, there's not really a modest way to say this, but my life is really bifurcated. Like um, you know, I was at WWDC a few weeks ago, and you know, there just pretty much everyone there knows who I am, right? Like you're walking around, there aren't that many, you know, six foot two women engineers in our field. And, uh, you know, so I'm known there. But what I find is with normal people who don't follow tech, it's, there's no good way to say, hey, and I'm running for Congress, because it's like, (laughs) what's going on? And so many people are like politophobic. And it's just a really, I, I haven't figured out an artful way to say that, even when meeting people in like campaign situations like going out to like a a church fish fry you can't be like hey it's so good to see you i need your vote like that's not a normal (laughs) thing you slide into conversation i guess you get really comfortable asking for things 
You do? You do? Uh, do you guys know what call time is? Uh-uh. Call time is the worst. So <laughs> if you are considering running for Congress, this is the worst part, that your staff will schedule you for three to four hours a day of what we call call time. And what this is, is going through your list of people and cold calling them on the phone and asking for money. <laughs> and uh, you have to do this if you're going to be a competitive candidate. And there's just, it's again, like running for Congress is not a normal thing. I mean, how do you call up somebody like, hey, yeah, we've been Facebook friends for five years. How are you doing? <laughs> give me give me the maximum donation, which is $4,000. Yeah, it's super. And it's like a job that like, very few people have or have had. Right. Like, yes. It's just like, it's a job, you know, you can, there's got to be like a couple thousand people who've like ever run for Congress in any serious way. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It, so it's like, there's, you know, hmm. I'm a programmer, right? So there's like millions, I don't know, millions, but at least tens or hundreds of thousands of us out there, like writing about how to be a programmer and blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, you can, you can learn from people who are doing it publicly, but it seems like it's kind of a, uh, a hidden art that you just kind of learn while you're doing it. Yeah, that's really true. Um, you know, especially for women, because, you know, like guys tend to, guys tend to support other guys in ways I think they aren't even aware of. And like, I'll give you an example. I was doing media at a TV station a few weeks ago and like, I'm the only woman that's on and everyone else is white guys. And they're just sitting in the green room, all talking to each other and not talking to me. Because, you know, I'm not one of their crowds. So it's like unconscious barriers like that that you are constantly hmm. hitting. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah, just to kind of link it to the programmer thing, you know, I am most comfortable on a Saturday wearing yoga pants and a T-shirt, like sitting around staring at a computer trying to get something compiled. That's where I'm mm -hmm. happiest. So to go from that to having to be on all the time it's kind of miserable. Like it's, it's hmm. not a lot of fun. I can see like maybe someone who might be a, a lawyer or a, an actor might enjoy it more, but right. it's, um, it really goes against my basic nature. The goals that the, the kind of goals and ideals that you've developed over your life, all of a sudden in order to really pursue them, you have to engage a yep. completely different part of your brain, right? That seems like such a radical shift. That's exactly it. You know, and I feel like asking people to do the right thing just isn't isn't um, working anymore. Like, even take gender stuff out of it. Let's take something all of us agree on, probably. Net neutrality, right? If we don't have net right. neutrality, we don't have a free society. So what you and I have been doing is we'll call up these you know, 60, 70-year-old white dudes and ask them to vote sure. the correct way on this. And we try right. to pressure them. Um, and they just keep blowing it because they don't care, and the information they get is from AT&T and Verizon. I am really tired of this indirect solution of asking mm. them to do the right thing on net neutrality, on privacy, on encryption, on information security. Um, you know, all these things like techies, conservative or liberal, all have the exact same opinions on. And I just think mm. that, like, we have to get our voices represented. And something I think we don't talk about enough is everyone's like, well, you've got to take over the entire Congress. And that's not true. Um, in the Congress, bills in certain areas have to go before committee and then subcommittee. So if you're like changing um, election law, 
I believe that has to go to the Judiciary Committee. So anything with science or technology has to go to the Science and Technology Subcommittee before anything else can happen on it. So ultimately, we just need eight people that understand this stuff enough to vote the right way to control, you know, the way this this comes out of. And, you know, we need to do it on the Senate side, too. But at the very least, if we get eight votes in the House that are, you know, like even literate in this stuff, we can at least stop Congress from doing any more harm, which would be a huge win, you know? Mm-hmm. I was trying to, like, put myself in your brain a little bit and try and figure sure. out, like, how you get to the point of, like, hey, like, I run a game development company, and then all of a sudden now I'm running for Congress. Um, yeah. And that transition, do you feel like, is it a moral issue or is it like a like almost like a self-interest issue where it's like, hey, like, I need these things, like, to survive, and so, like, I have to yeah. do it out of self-preservation? Or is it like a, I feel like the, like, is there some sort of, like, transcendent, like, moral good that you feel like is, like, pushing you to run for Congress? It's the latter. It's the exact same thing as Gamergate. Like, um, you know, for your listeners that don't know, I was one of the three primary women targeted during Gamergate where, yeah, I came, kind of became a national known figure for women in tech. And you know, for Gamergate, like, uh, hand to God, this is why I did it because they had gone after so many of my friends and I'd seen so many people I cared about quit the industry that my heart was broken. Um, it just, there aren't that many women in tech. So to see us getting picked off one by one, I was angry and, you know, I stood up and I spoke out against them. And because of that, I was targeted. Um, Congress is the exact same thing. Like our country is falling apart. I have friends that, you know, aren't programmers, so maybe they don't, you know, have as much money as my husband and I do, and I see them struggling to pay health care bills. What I'm about in 2017 is I'm about us really elevating each other, and I, I really mean everybody. I mean, you know, the single mom. I mean someone that is Jewish. I mean, you know, maybe the 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 white programmer that's a little bit shy with people and is uncomfortable about his appearance, maybe like everybody, like we've got to lift each other up because the system as it is right now is tearing us apart one by one. And, you know, something I think of people follow me on Twitter is I kind of sit out a lot of these day by day arguments that kind of get us going after our own or, you know, attacking someone for something very minor that they did wrong. Cause that's, it's just not my philosophy. I'm, I'm all about like targeting the big problems and kind of, you know, not getting obsessed about, you know, relatively small differences. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, it just feels to me like we often, like the reason that we sort of attack each other internally is that we feel like we need to present a unified front. And when someone who is Almost, who is on our team says something that that feels like something we wouldn't say. We feel like our message is being diluted, or like the you know the right thing is being poisoned by them. And yeah. I don't I don't always know what the right way to deal with that is, especially when it's something you know where I agree like ninety percent of the way. And I think you your campaign is in like a particularly interesting place because you you have issues that are popular among sort of like the libertarian redditors as well as yep. the like the leftist sort of you know more progressive you know san franciscans um yep. and so 
it's got to be interesting because you've got to have some people who come on to support some of your issues, but then are the same people who were, you know, involved in the, the flinging of Gamergate. Yeah, no, that's that's dead on. I mean, you know, look at uh, Internet privacy. Uh, you know, I agree with the libertarian wing of our party that if the government is going to spy on us, by God, they need a warrant. And they shouldn't have internet backdoors for that. If I can find an ally that I agree with on that, you know, if we don't agree on feminist issues, you know, I'm going to try to get work done on that part that we agree with. Um, something I find really hard and personally difficult is the district I'm running in. Um, Stephen Lynch is, uh, you know, he's 63 years old, I believe. And he's part of this older union crowd. And it is a, a very weird district because it's got like the, the very gay part of Boston, but it's also got like the uber Republican part of Boston. And a lot of the people I need to at least not actively alienate are, you know, older white union members that may mm-hmm. not be down with like gay rights. And that doesn't mean I'm silent on gay rights, but what it means is I have to, you know, widen my message, which, you know, it's utterly genuine. Like we've got to make sure, you know, union members are treated fairly. So what is the what is the day-to-day work like right now? You know, you're you're definitely like you're in it in a big yeah. way. So like what yeah. is your is your life insane? Like, what, what is it? What is it like right now for you? Right now, it's go every single second. Uh, you know, like today, um, the only reason I have time to paint my car today is because tomorrow is my birthday, and uh, my husband is able to take a day off, and I've been mm-hmm. begging him to do this for months now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's wake up, and my calendar's full already, and then you know, reporters will call asking for you know new interviews on this or that um honestly right now we're all in on fundraising so you know my personal goal is to raise a million dollars in the next three months which is going to be very challenging i don't know if i can do it but i'm certainly going to try mm-hmm. um and then you're going out to fish fries and church and bake sales and every single local event and trying to shake hands and meet as many people as possible so you know that's it it's um just this mad sprint every single day sounds totally exhausting it is it is it's worse than crunch in a game studio because (laughs) you have to be social all the time and your face hurts from smiling (laughs) like campaigning is its own skill set and it's basically its own job right and yeah at the same time it's basically an audition for a job that requires very few of the same skills right um and so you're in this weird place where basically you've committed to having a specific job for a while. Yeah, um, and then at the end for. of it, you're guaranteed yeah. to not have that job. And you're yep. either going to have your old job or a totally new job that you've never done before. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and for me, um, you know, statistically, you know, I'm an engineer, so I do data-driven decision-making. Statistically, almost no one wins their first time out of the gate. And statistically, people win a lot their second time out of the gate. So, you know, if I don't win hmm. this time, I'm committed to doing it again and seeing hmm. it again in 2020. So, huh. um, yeah, it's it's exactly like that. I think something that doesn't get talked about enough is how you can't use any of the money you raise for personal expenses. There's no way a single mom could ever run for office because you Hmm. can't eat. There is no way someone poor could ever run for office because you can't eat. 
there is a reason why the only people that make it to Congress are millionaires. And, you know, it's not that I'm opposed to some people there being millionaires, but it's like 99% of the country is just not heard from. Hmm. And it makes me believe that much more strongly in, uh, you know, public financing. At a certain point, you, you like made a decision to basically like potentially gamble your career. Yeah. Considering sort of where you're at, you know, you, you, you know, have your own company and, you know, so it's a little bit less like, like you're not, you're not quitting a job that you might not get back. But at the same time, like you're gambling, like, you know, the momentum of your career for something that might not happen. Yeah. I would argue I am gambling my studio. I had to, you know, put all my, I had to tell all my employees to get other jobs. And, you know, we are not, we had a a prototype uh, of some extremely interesting VR technology that, you know, I was in the process of trying to raise a few million dollars of VC for. Really, really interesting holodeck level stuff. And, you know, it's putting that company that I have busted my body apart trying to build since 2010 on hold. And, you know, trying to go back and get that momentum would be very, very difficult. So you're right. It's putting all of it on the line. But, I mean, for me, it's the question of can I sleep at night? If I'm creating, you know, a video game, which is essentially a pleasant pastime, while friends of mine can't get health care and are dying, my psychological makeup is I just can't do that. I, I'm not capable of it. It would weigh on me every single day. So I kind of feel like I had no choice. And I think that I think that we need an entire generation of people to stand up and run ourselves. I mean all respect to the baby boomers, but I think if you ask if America is better off today than it was 30 years ago, I think that's a very straightforward answer. And, you know, there is a time that you know, new generations take a step aside and the next one comes up in their place. And, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and I do think our values are, are worthwhile. I want to see our voices represented. <laughs> Bingo, bango. We're doing great. How are you? Uh, I am hot because it is an 85 degree day in Boston mm. and I'm trying to repaint my Audi TT. So uh, yeah, it's a busy day. You're today. personally repainting it? Yeah. Yeah. I wow. grew up in Mississippi. I love cars. So uh, oh. this is a classic 2001 Audi TT that I've wanted my whole life and I'm nice. uh, working on painting it and restoring it to prime condition. That's that excellent. gnarly. My my ability to repaint a car stops at like plasti dipping the bumper. <laughs> well, we're a little bit beyond that. Uh, we have right. an HLP uh, gun, which we're working with. So, killing it. Um, well, one of the things that uh, you've talked about a lot on you know on Twitter and other places as well is uh, info security as it currently exists yeah. and Ooh. where it's headed. And I know that that oh, it's a uh, mess, isn't it? it <laughs> so like, okay, so on this show. The the kind of like analogy that we always talk about is like the internet is this neighborhood that we all live in now. 
And uh, there's a lot of interesting things that I think that kind of come out of that analogy because it's there's the most obvious side of it, which we've talked about at length on here, which is like, okay, so given that we spend all of our time on the internet, given that our stuff is on the internet and our media is on the internet and our friendships are on the internet, our family's on the internet, how do we go be a good neighbor? How do we be a good citizen on the internet? How do we be a good citizen of that neighborhood? How do we be good neighbors to people? Um, I think that's a crucially important question that obviously touches on uh, your experiences with Gamergate and other things. The other side of it, though, which we haven't talked about as much, is, okay, if we all live in this neighborhood, it's probably time to acknowledge that this is, like, not a great neighborhood <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that it's, like, a very dangerous neighborhood. And the thing that makes it even more dangerous than just being a dangerous neighborhood with a lot of bad actors is that most of the citizens in this neighborhood have no clue just how dangerous it is. And the people who are in charge of legislating this neighborhood don't have any clue how dangerous it is. And I'm curious, like if you could speak to that a little bit and maybe give some thoughts on how normal non-politicians can be proactive about trying to make the neighborhood a little bit safer and how to raise a little bit of awareness about that. Well, I think first of all, we need to be aware that, you know, our actions can hurt other people. I mean, something I had to learn during Gamergate was, you know, when you have a large following, you have a responsibility to use it well. And when people used to, even men in technology, used to tweet sexist, oblivious things at me, at first I would just retweet it and shame them and sick, you know, 50, 60,000 people on them. And uh, I realized that was wrong. You know, we all need to understand that we can hurt people. Um, so that's kind of the citizen aspect of it. I would say this, though. Um, we are beyond failing at information security and our Internet infrastructure. I mean, it is stunning how terribly we're failing. Like, I, I've started looking at how vulnerable our schools and hospitals are, the information mm. there. And when you start looking at, like, our power grid and talking to experts, like I was talking to a military engineer uh, last week, and he was telling me how, you know, just a cyber attack on one set of power lines uh, in a six-mile area would take down power for most of the United States. Oof. You know, we are beyond vulnerable, and it makes me so angry to see the Pentagon spending billions and billions and billions on a new fighter jet or a new toy. And I'm not saying that stuff isn't important, but cybersecurity is such an area of national security. And we just completely ignore it and are failing at it. So to me, you know, I really love America. I mean, I want our country to be okay. And I feel like it is extremely patriotic for people that do care about information security to go, you know what, we've got to have better policy because our elections are getting hacked and we are very, very, very vulnerable. So I think that we have got to stand up and run for Congress ourselves because honestly, I there are Democrats on the Science and Technology Committee and I don't want to shame them, but there's a lot of bad decision-making coming out, like just really bad decision-making. So, you know, there's the consumer side where I think we need to feel more responsibility and, you know, 
respect towards each other. But that's kind of a boil the ocean <laughs> solution too. Like <laughs> you can't wave a magic wand and make people respect each other. But at the very least, we can get better policies in place. Hmm. I've gotten to see like sort of factions among my sort of liberal friends arise, right? And there are those who are really about winning, right? Which is like, listen, we just can't lose again. You know, yeah. like next time we just can't lose, right? And whatever we got to sacrifice to do that, like pretty much anyone from our team is better than in, than what we have now, right? Um, and then there's the others, the sort of like ideological purists, right? Who say, yeah. we, can't, we can't sacrifice anything, right? As soon as we sacrifice anything, we sacrifice everything. And we're, you know, we just go down the road of people who are going to make sacrifices over and over and over again. Yeah. When you turn 18 and you go to college and you, you know, you read Durkheim and Marx, right? You, uh, you start to, you know, you have these like ideological purity ideas and you start to realize that, you know, a lot of things fail because of sacrifices, right? And, you know, if you're like a young college Marxist or whatever, which I have been, um, you, you start to feel like, oh, like the reason for all of these failures of this great idea is like sacrifice, yeah. And then you get a little bit older and you start to make your own like personal sacrifices, right? Like you you take a job and like you might work on a project for someone you don't agree with, right? Or something like that. And all of a sudden you realize like you can't go through life without making any sacrifices because to get anything done you have to make some sacrifices. And yeah. Yeah. it's a really weird place. I feel like a lot of people my age are just starting to have the experience of like of sacrificing some of the ideas they think are right for bigger ideas they think are right. And it's really strange. Yeah. And like, it's not always obvious, mm. like what the right things to sacrifice are. Huh. Well, I also think it's much easier to run a Twitter account than it is a congressional campaign. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, I really mean this. Like a lot of people, their way of, um, you know, influencing politics is by tweeting and Facebooking. And I do that too. But it's a lot easier to, you know, offer, you know, hot condemnation of an idea that you may or may not agree with than to commit of three to four hours of call time to strangers a day so you can raise enough money to hire staff and be competitive, right? So I, I think that's part of it. I mean, the, the answer I'm coming to is we need to we need to look at how we really got into this mess to begin with. And I almost feel like it's an intersection of racism and, you know, the 1% kind of ruling the entire economy and, you know, this really um, ineffectual media watchdog system we have. Like, all these forces are coming together. And I feel like if we don't get down to the systemic problem underneath it, you know, Donald Trump is not the problem. Donald Trump is a symptom of a very, very badly broken political process. And something I try to have empathy for is, you know, I am out there all the time, and I talk to older white workers that can't afford health care, that their jobs are gone because of NAFTA, you know, which is an agreement Bill Clinton signed, um, and they have no idea how they're going to make it. And they're desperate, and they saw Donald Trump coming forward and you know, talking a good game. We all know it, we knew it was BS, but they were so desperate that they voted for someone that promised them answers when the other candidate looked like a status quo. 
I obviously don't agree with that, but I try to have empathy for where they're coming from because we've got to address that root problem there, which is no one makes a living wage anymore except for programmers like us. So, you know, I, I think we've really got to get down to the solution. Boston seems like such a fascinating confluence of, of different cultures. The little bit of time I spent there, just the university culture and then the sort of like far left progressive culture and then also the older sort of Catholic uh, entrenched yep. folks who are there. It's, just, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's sort of this little microcosm of America there. Yeah. People think of us as a hyper leftist place and we're just not. I was actually just looking at our little topics Trello board that we have and we have you know, we do specific things for specific people, but we have a couple of like general topics that we're just kind of sitting on. Um, and one that I thought would be really interesting to talk to you about is the metaphor of discrete weather event versus climate, right? Um, and basically, it's really similar to the sort of symptom and disease thing that you were talking about yeah. with with Trump, right? Trump is, is the symptom of sort of the larger disease. Um, but s- there's also, I feel like there's kind of a a danger, but also like a danger you have to deal with to be useful of conflating like a crazy flare up of something with like a larger climate. Right. And I think with the current situation, we know that there's like a climate behind this event and maybe it's something we've been ignoring for a long time, or maybe it's something that's sort of heated up recently. Um, But I'm really interested in how and when you can take like discrete events and like extrapolate them to, to a larger climate idea. To me, it seems like the climate isn't as bad as the weather event, right? And that there's, hmm. we're, we're still in a place where there are some things, there are some things that can be rescued, you know? And I saw a lot of uh, almost fatalistic depression going on on social media that, yeah. that sort of got to like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to, you know, hunker down and like see what's left of the world four years from now. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I feel like we still we still can fight a lot of this stuff. And we had like one really, really serious weather event, which was an election, right? And it was definitely representative of like a serious climate that we weren't aware of. But I feel a little bit like the weather event may have been more severe than the climate. Does Yeah, no. I think Does that make any exactly sense what it. I'm saying? Yeah. I, I would say I think a little bit of that is privileged. Um, you know, I'm sure the assault it is. on women's uh, reproductive rights has been there for years. Um, you know what transgender people are dealing with right now in America. It's it's horrific. You know there was one study that showed the average um, lifespan of someone transgender was 33 years old. Yeah, uh, which is just shocking, right? And mm-hmm. you know there's been a huge fight for access to education and healthcare for years now. That is getting worse, but it's, you know, it's been bad for quite a while. You know, there's a lot that is positive that's come out of this. Like, there are more women running for office than ever before. Uh, Like, I think uh, one study I saw said there was like a four-time increase in the number of women running for office. That is awesome. I think that, like you said, there are a lot of millennials that have said, you know what? I've got to get involved at this point. I can't be apathetic anymore. So I would not I would not advise anyone to kind of give up. But I would also say this, you know, we need to make sure that the things we're doing are effective. And I'll tell you a quick story. I'm not going to give you her name, but she's a pretty well-known writer that I'm friends with. 
She writes science fiction books, and right after the election, she's like, um, well, I'm going to write, in response to Trump, I'm going to write a book that tells uh, other science fiction people how to better incorporate um, themes of inclusion in their books. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a book that tells other people what to do. And I pulled her aside, and I'm like, yeah, this is so indirect, and we don't have time for indirect solutions right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't the time for, you know, liberal chest beating and, you know, feel good solutions. Right. Um, there are three things that we need to do to direct this, directly affect this. You need to either run for office yourself, you need to donate money to someone who is running for office, or you need to donate time to somebody that's running for office. Because the solution here is really straightforward. It's better decision makers in office. And it's just no time for, like, you know what I think about? It's like the Komen breast cancer walk, where you've got women that are out there, like, saving pink yogurt lids to fight breast cancer, to give indirectly to this other organization that is fighting cancer in ways that aren't really spelled out. (laughs) And I think like it would be more useful for those women to be calling their congressperson or running for office themselves and allocating more research here. You know, now is the time for very direct solutions. So, you know, don't get discouraged. Like that's exactly what they want. You know, millennials and Gen Xers, I feel like, you know, we're both being screwed over by this system in a really, really serious way. And clearly, they are not going to be able to fix it. We've got to do this, and there are no other options. Hello. Hello. Ding dong. Ding a dong. Hey, this is the episode where we talk about politics and uh, how millennials fit into that. Bada bing, bada boom. That uh, Sprint 2 happened kind of fast. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Honestly, it's going to get 90 degrees in a few minutes. So this is a good uh, break to take. So yeah, let's uh, just leap right into it. But you are going to be in Chattanooga sometime soon, right? For like 48 hours, yeah. Pretty much no. I drive by you in the bayou. I drive by you in the bayou. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. I just uh, you you were, you lagged out. I I, th- I thought I was uh, I thought that was a uh, radio silence there. So I keep going. <laughs> no, go ahead. What were you gonna say? What were you gonna say? A tweet that you sent out pretty recently that I thought was a really interesting question, and I'm curious if you saw responses that you liked. You asked the question on Twitter. Uh, you said, "Honest question." Is there a way to politely suggest to white cis guys <laughs> that they might be showing their privilege that avoids them getting defensive? Which I think is a, a very practical, uh, good question. And I, I have some thoughts of on my own, but I'm curious from you, like, did you, from the kind of like dialogue on Twitter, did you come up with anything good? No. No. <laughs> no. It's, it's hard uh, to it's do. It's a shame. It's, it's impossible to do. Um, you know, I, I don't have a clue how you do it. I mean, I... How can I say this? I think something that feminism fails to do and something I need to do better in my messaging is making it clear that, you know, I'm I'm deeply concerned about what happens to men. I mean, one of the, the things I think is great that women can do is express all ranges of emotion. And I see this even with my husband. Like if someone says, um, if I say something is cute, he's kind of reticent to express that emotion. You know, he feels like he can't cry. 
And I believe that's because of damage we do to boys when they're very little. I think we like slap them and beat them if they, you know, express emotions that aren't considered stereotypically manly. Um, so I want to say like, I know I need to do better at communicating that respect overall, but it's also very hard because if you're trying to talk about tech getting better, um, you know, everyone agrees that our industry has a sexism problem, but I can think of maybe one or two examples where a man has said, I am part of that problem. Or if you suggest to him, like, I think you may be showing some unconscious bias right now where they don't get really, really angry and defensive. And, you know, all respect to dudes out there, but it's impossible to have a discussion with you about this. And it's, it, it hurts the women around you, especially in tech. That's yeah. such a shame. I've, uh, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I feel like there's a couple of possibilities for how a guy's going to feel about his privilege, you know? <laughs> and uh, one, one, which I think is more and more common now, is sort of shame and denial, right? The idea that like, Oh, like I, I feel like I worked really hard. I feel like my life was really hard. And so privilege, like, what do you mean privilege? Like, you know, I, I had hard times. Um, and so that, that often leads to people feeling like they got to like minimize their privilege, right? As a, as a self-preservation mechanism, right? And like when we had a Neil Dash on, he, he was talking about markets when he said this, but people who win tend to assume that the system is fair mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm a good person and I won. So the system must be fair. And so when you win and someone tells you that you were playing with more cards. um, You didn't build that. Yeah, you didn't build that. (laughs) It it starts to feel really like threatening to your identity, right? And so one, I feel like the really common reaction is shame and minimizing. Uh, But I feel like the better approach to privilege, and this is something I try and implement in myself, but like it's really difficult, is just like, honest gratitude, right? Like, guess what? Your life is better than it could have been because of privilege. Now, is that fair that that's not true for everyone else? No, it's totally not. And like, should you do everything you can to like even the playing field? Totally. But I don't, I don't feel like the fact that, um, the fact that my life is, is good because of who I am, um, unfairly is something I should feel ashamed about. I should feel grateful and use that gratitude to understand that this is not something I deserve, right? Like I, I should only really, I only really feel gratitude for things that I feel like were given to me, right? And so this is something I feel like was given to me unfairly. I didn't deserve it, but it's, it's something I feel gratitude for, and be, the gratitude can lead me to feel way less defensive when that is attacked. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I think it's a great attitude. I think it's completely unrealistic to expect the totally to get to that <laughs> totally. <place. laughs> Yeah. I mean, mean, to me, it's, uh, you know, it's this way as a white person, too, right? Like, I have all kinds of privilege for being white. And the phrase is check your privilege, not don't have any privilege. It's check your privilege, like be aware (laughs) of it. So I think that's what we can do is be aware of it. But it's not going to, you know, it doesn't help when... You know, like I said uh, the other day, I'm in a professional situation, I'm doing media, and all the white dudes are talking to each other. 
And what am I supposed to do? Like go, hey, do you realize that like unconsciously you're excluding the one woman that's here from the situation? I can't have that situation. I can't say that to them. I mean, there's no win in that situation. And it's just, it sucks. You know, um, ah, I, I have no idea how you address it. One thing that's really frustrating to me as a candidate is I had to change my iPhone background the other day. I'm going to tell you what it says. I, I made a, a, a graphic design for myself, mm-hmm. and it says, this shows up on my iPhone every time I unlock it. It says, winning is ignoring them, losing is engaging them. And what I mean by that. There are white straight men all the time that tweet me on Twitter and aren't aware that they have problems or unconsciously sexist attitudes. And for me as a candidate, I can't fight them. I just can't because then it comes across as I don't care about X, Y, or Z population and engaging them has no value for me. And it's really hard for me when somebody's saying something to me that's just blatantly sexist or shows privilege to let that go. But it's what I have to do as a candidate. Um, there's just no winning if you're a woman. And that's got to be a difficult place as a candidate, right? Because you're, yeah. you're a candidate, but you're also a person, right? Yeah. And so having to you know put down something that maybe your, your ego, and I don't mean that in like a derogatory way, but you know, no, like the part yeah. of your brain that's protecting you, you know, uh, feels, you know, attacked and wants to defend itself and you know all of these things are really reasonable responses but there's some sort of higher purpose you know where it's like okay but on behalf of me i have to just let this abuse go so that i can you know represent all of these other people who i'm here to to fight for right and so it may be the best thing for me personally would to get be to get into this fight and feel vindicated and feel like i said my piece um, but then for all of these other people I'm representing, that would actually damage the campaign and, you know, lower my chances of winning. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's really well said. I think we all need to advocate for the areas where it costs us the le- you know, less than the person being targeted to, um, you know, I think we need to advocate for people in that situation. The, the one thing, the one bit of success that I've had, which I potentially just comes you know maybe from the fact that i'm also a white dude talking to other white dudes but the the one angle that i have had like a little bit of success with is bringing up the whole like john rawls veil of ignorance thing um which i think is like a super helpful tool in a lot of different scenarios where you're talking about equality but like originally developed in the 70s he was talking about it as a way of saying you know if if tomorrow you were to wake up as a random person in the economy, how would you hope that the economy is organized? Um, which I think is a super interesting question. Like if you were to be born again tomorrow as a minority in a poor neighborhood to a single mother, how do you hope our economic system is organized? Um, and if you say, well, I hope it's organized slightly differently than it's organized right now, then that's an acknowledgement that there's inequality out there. I think a similar thing can be done with privilege where, uh, you can say, what if tomorrow you woke up and you had all the same interests, but you were a black woman? How would you hope that things are organized? And uh, I think that's, I've had just a little bit of success, you know, not every time, but I've had a little bit of success provoking guys a little bit more by framing it up that way. Um, Just because it draws attention to the fact that, in fact, we are, you know, 
we, we, we're, we're playing this video game on the easy mode. And it doesn't feel like the easy mode until you grow up a little bit and start to see it that way. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's well said. I, I think that cuts both ways, though. I mean, I do think sometimes feminism can talk about, you know, white straight dudes, like they're less than human sometimes. So I try to sit there and go, okay, what must it be like for someone who in high school was made fun of because they didn't have these interests. What must it be like to be, you know, a dude that isn't hyper masculine growing up in a culture that treats you like garbage if you aren't hyper masculine? Like what's it like to not be able to express emotions super freely? You know, statistically guys over um twenty five tend to not have a lot of friends. What's it like to do that? It must be very lonely. So I mean, I think that I think that philosophy goes both ways. Yeah, and you know, it's it's also easier to to even have that conversation when you're like a white dude talking to another white dude, right? Sure. Like, it, they're way more willing to like play a philosophical mind game with you when they feel like, oh, he's not attacking me because if he was, he'd be attacking himself too, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, and it, it's a much it's a much less threatening thing for a lot of guys when someone who like looks like them and has sort of a similar social standing as them approaches them with an idea they're uncomfortable with rather than when someone who, you know, who has a different uh, social experience starts to try and tell them about their own social experience. Right. And I'm not saying that's the right attitude, but just, you know, usually when I see like defensiveness about privilege, it's often because Someone feels you like you don't understand what my life is actually like. You're just assuming things about me um, when often, you know, they might not understand a lot about what other lives are like. And so they assume that their life is sort of a normative one. Yeah. You know, it's not enough to be angry. It's not enough to tweet. It's not enough to you know, post on Facebook. This is only going to get better until we take direct action ourselves. So, um, you know, if you can run for office yourself donate money to someone that's running for office or donate time to someone that's running for office pick one of those three things because if it's not that you know it's just it's not direct action and the time is passed for things that feel good but don't do anything hmm. awesome and you can support my uh, campaign by going to support com. sorry about my dogs I'm gonna let Hi, dogs. But my husband just came in. One you're second. You're good. Frank! Oh, I'm sorry, one second. <laughs> no, you're good. Chattahoochee National Forest and the Cherokee National Forest and the Pisgah National Forest. Those national forests are uh, problematic. You don't even have to be smart to do it, you know? No. You don't have to be good at anything to, to like, make an outstanding crockpot. That's correct. That's where you get all that flavor from. Flavor country. Bingo. Bango bongo. I made her aware of the fact that uh, a female DJ only uses 77 air horns for every 100 <gasps> air horns used by a male DJ. All right. Sorry about that. The Amazon no, guy totally was dropping cool. some stuff off. Prepare to board. All right. I am rolling. How are you guys doing? So let's close on something a little bit happier. Like let's let's get to Kill something it. funner. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about games for a minute just because yeah. uh, we haven't had that... We haven't had that many guests who love games and have worked games. in the industry and have Absolutely. created things. So I would yeah. love to talk to you about games Let's if you're do up it. for it. 
Let's do it. Number one is just what do you what are you playing right now? What do you like? Oh my god! So the worst part of running for Congress is I barely have time to play games these days. So I've got Mass Effect Andromeda, which is sitting unused. I am mm-hmm. sneaking through Stormblood bit by bit in the evening, so I'm playing mm. a lot of that. Tekken 7 just came out. I'm a hardcore fighting game fan, so I play a lot of that uh, because yes. I'm traveling so much. Uh, I love the Nintendo Switch. Breath of the Wild is just a stunning game, so I've been going through that. Um you know, it's it's really a bit of everything right now, but I would say I'm hardcore obsessed with Final Fantasy fourteen. In my opinion, it's just the the greatest Final Fantasy game to come out in a long time. You know, you uh, keep up with uh, Apple News and Apple development oh, really God, closely yeah. and write about it as yeah. well. I'm curious, from your perspective, uh, is Apple going to start caring about games again at any point in the future, or is that pretty much a lost <laughs> cause? <laughs> no, um, if you follow WWDC this year, um, I mean, all they did this year was create a floor for games. AR kit. You know, one of the things that it hurts me sometimes to read um, Apple development news because all respect to the guys on our network, you know, Marco, John, Casey, you know, um, Mike Hurley, Stephen Hackett. I love them. I respect them. But they're all coming at it from the exact same point of view. Um, And the thing that I think is really missed in um, Apple journalism is people with um, a 3D background. So I can say the Xcode tools for 3D are basically baby talk compared to what the rest of the industry is working with. Um, Hmm. So what we saw this year was, you know, Metal 2, an AR kit, and, um, you know, like VR external GPU boxes. What we saw is Apple kind of putting a floor to build up um, their gaming technology. The problem is they've ignored this market for so long that, you know, the only games that get put on Mac are, you know, just thrown in a translation wrapper and then they run inefficiently and run poorly and you've got to buy like a $4,000 Mac to play it well. I I don't expect that to change anytime soon, but I do think Apple is about to make a really big move into AR. And, you know, everything we saw this year was, um, you know, indicating they're about to get more serious about it. That's great. I, I've been, um, I'm a huge fan of Cyan and Mist and Riven, and they, they re- recently put out Abduction uh, to like great cl- critical acclaim, but they didn't put it on PlayStation and they didn't release on Mac, and I was devastated. <sighs> but it was so funny to watch over the like, I guess it was like six to nine months after they released for Windows, they kind of like dredged out this whole process of, of putting it on of trying to port it onto Mac and basically yeah. we put up these blog posts just saying like look working with metal is a nightmare and it's a, it's yeah. just not it's not working and they finally put it out and I played it on the lowest resolution possible and it was like it's just choppy and jumping all over the place it's, it's a little bit frustrating right now but that's encouraging to hear did they did they end up just uh using OpenGL and uh putting it through a translation wrapper doing it that way I think they still, I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure they still ended up working with Metal, though. Huh, wow. That's really surprising to me. I, mean, it's a complete, I could be wrong, though. I could uh, it's a complete pain in the butt working with Metal. I mean, as if game designers are going to go through 
and refactor all their code for a market that isn't even profitable to exist. I mean, it's a, it's a fantasy. And, you know, Apple's larger problem right yeah. now is they are coasting on the success of the iOS app store, and they expect developers just to line up for tvOS and, you know, all these other things. Ugh. And they haven't shown small developers enough respect and support to get that kind of loyalty. Like ultimately we've got to make money. Um, it's yeah. a really big mess. Uh, open GL does not get talked about enough by the Mac community because like I said, all of our analysts, all our most respected analysts like John Gruber, they're not gamers. They don't understand the stuff. They don't work with it professionally. And you know, open GL yeah. is just a nightmare. It's at least 25% more inefficient. Uh, it's a really thick layer. Um, you know, and like thinking everybody's going to refactor their code for metal is just a fantasy. So, um, it's yeah. a hard situation for Apple. Yeah, man. The TVOS as game console thing was such a joke. Yeah. Like they, they tried to sell it. I love, I love, you can see these a mile away, these Apple keynote, uh, sort of game announcements where they're like, and like, look at this game as like our platform exclusive. Like you can play Flappy Bird on a TV. But then you look at you, they want you to turn your remote sideways and use it as a gamepad and the remote doesn't even work as a remote. And like they sell one gamepad from a third party that totally blows and the Bluetooth sucks. You know, it's like, come on guys, like just try a little bit, just try a little, like just make a better controller, make one first party controller. What really gets me about Apple TV is there is no technical reason in the world they couldn't take that system and make it backwards compatible with a lot of Unreal 3 content. If you did that, Hmm. you would have Mass Effect. You would have Dragon Age. You would have, um, God, what, uh, you know, uh, Deus Ex, I believe the first Deus Ex on PS3 was made with Unreal. I mean, you've got an entire Mm -hmm. library of games there. There's no reason technically it can't run Rocket on Apple League. TV. And they have this fantasy, again, that everyone's going to just create new content. And what did they do? They just throw it in Xcode and do the auto-resolution thing and change a few things so it like ports over these terrible iPhone you know, IAP games to work on Apple TV. It's why the best games for Apple TV are like Sonic if you play it with a controller yeah. and pinball and you know, mm. they just, they need to get a lot more realistic about that. Yeah. And iPad, like I just recently got my first iPad and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think the gaming experience on there is really cool, but like, yeah. you know, that comes with a huge asterisk of, you know, mobile games on iOS have very strict limitations. Like we've, we've pretty much, I don't know, like the, the whole, like, the joystick is like what you move with your left thumb in the bottom left corner. Like that doesn't re- that it doesn't seem to really be working. Uh, and so there, there's just say, really strict yeah. limitations. I I am beyond proud of revolution 60, especially the special edition yeah. on the iPad. If you've never played it, you really should because it's not like that at all. Like um, I, I had, I, I wish you could even understand how many fights I had with my dev team because they are all Windows people to make it feel like an Apple-like experience. And we sweated hmm. so many of the details about how you fight, um, you know, how you move around, and it is a really fluid, engaging experience. And I, I know it's got faults, but I am just so proud of that game. And the um, mm. you know, the special edition that we released, the lighting on it is a trillion times better. And I just, I'm mm. really proud of that work. <laughs>